and welcome to our first ever live on leadership. I am your host, Mapleton, and I have Tracy Sandlin with me today. So we are excited to welcome folks in YouTube land and Facebook land and LinkedIn land. And uh, of course, people watching, catching us not live on YouTube or in our podcast or wherever it may be. So welcome. I'm Beth Mapleton. I am a 22-year educator um, who is a coach, a consultant, and a coach sultant, which is a made-up word that I use where I do a combination of coaching and consulting. And I work with leaders in mission-driven organizations to help them uh, with the time, tools, skill sets, and space to solve problems, mostly with their teams, so that they can reach their mission more effectively. So I am super excited to see these lives. My very first guest, Tracy Sandlin, who is a super, super special guest. Um, this is a chance for us to talk about leadership and to learn lessons and just kind of hear about different people's leadership journeys. So I'm super excited for this as well. So Tracy is a Teach for America, first of all, a proud UW graduate, University of Washington, yes. focusing yes. on brown people, I believe is the major. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Tracy, and this is really applicable because Tracy now runs Chicago Collegiate, the school I started on the far south side of Chicago, which is a combined middle and high school. Um, and we focus a lot on kids going to college. And so Tracy has been pushing very hard to get some UW graduates going here. Although so far, I have zero. But we've only had one graduating class. <laughs> uh, 22 did not comply, even though I'm their faux college counselor. I've one year, one day. It's okay. One it's okay. Day. One, day, one year at a time, one day at a time. That's kind of part of how we do it. So um, Tracy also did Teach for America in 2007 in Los Angeles, proud mm -hmm. LA 07 alum, um, and uh, has her master's from Loyola Marymount, has a master's in school leadership from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, served two years as Chicago public school principal at Spencer Elementary, right? It's a that's the official mm -hmm. name, um, before coming over to Chicago Collegiate. So I'm super excited to talk today to Tracy because she has been a really important person in my life for many years um, about her leadership journey. And Tracy, the first time your name kind of like came into my orbit, do you want to guess when it was? I'm not sure you would guess it right, but you could try. Um, oh, well, the first time we met, I was still a core member. So am I correct in that? as a young baby core member. Really? I don't remember meeting. I remember you interviewing for well, a, the LA Institute. Yes. Yes, yes, exactly. Yep, correct. Correct. Yes. 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 We thought this Tracy Sandlin was a super hot prospect to be an operations director at the LA Institute. You were. You are a top choice. And then you broke the hearts of the Los Angeles Institute management team when you decided to move across the country and go work at Achievement First, which was great for your career but really painful for the LA 2009 Institute. Um, but great, because Achievement First got a great ops director and a social studies teacher, and you helped all the children's out. Um, and so that was really great. And yeah, that was fantastic, but uh, we were really disappointed. But then imagine how excited I was when you came to intern at Collegiate, which I feel like people think like, oh, she came as principal and whatever, but no. you, you no. had up there because you were doing the CPS program. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so I was a part of the Chicago Leadership Collaborative with Harvard, and so we were to be placed with a uh, as a resident principal in Chicago Public Schools, and they couldn't find anywhere for us to go. No one wanted us, uh, and I was living with my grandparents just right down the street, uh, having moved back from Chicago, and I was living my best life, getting home cooked meals every day, being <laughs> a broke formerly grad student with no job. Uh, literally, I had no job. I had just graduated from Harvard. And I was like, I need to eat for free. Uh, and they're like, what about this school on 118th in Indiana? I said, that's like five minutes from my grandparents' house. I'm in. And I pull up and I go, Beth Napleton, Beth Napleton, Beth Napleton. I remember from four years earlier, almost five years earlier, uh, the TFA Institute. And when I came, there was no kids. There was no school. It was the building. And was I remember Beth saying, uh, school starts in three weeks. We need desks. <laughs> and I go, you need what? And she said, yeah, we need desks, chairs, projectors. So literally- Just make this whole building come to life, would you? Like, just get the stuff. Yeah, make just it make stuff. it happen. Yeah, so we still use the desks, chairs, and projectors I ordered when I was an unpaid intern uh, in 2013. In the summer you of lifesaver. It was like, here we are. It was summer of 2013. We had just moved in. And I remember being like, no, no, I want this kind of desk. And you're like, you can't get those kinds of desks, but here's yeah. what you can get, and they're on their way, and they'll be here for kids, and that's what matters. And I was like, okay, fine, you're right. Um, but you kind of swooped in, like we're kind of like a magic 
intern and you went off and yeah. got your principal, your residency and your principal placement. Yeah. Yeah. Always stay in the neighborhood, which, you know, I, I think there are still several home-cooked meals coming out of your grandparents' house. Uh, yes, there to, are. Being yes. a strong tradition, is your third generation educator on the far south side of Roseland. Yeah. So uh, very, or the far, the our far south side community. So very fun. You saved the day. And then two years, a couple of years, must have been three years later? Almost three years later. Three Almost years three later. Years later. At the at the yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. How do you remember it? Uh, I remember telling my best friends, I was with my best friend at the time, Alicia, who was a fellow 07 core member. Yes. And I was like, I don't think I want to go back to did work my... for me at the Los Angeles Institute as a core member. She did. So I knew her. She did. She did not break she our did. hearts and move across the yes. country, but yes. yes. So you, were, you remember so, telling her? I know. That. I know. Uh, and I, at that point, was a little wishy-washy about returning to my school. Um, I'm a big believer in being very committed. I understand the impact of leadership, but it wasn't a great fit for me. And we're walking down the aisle, and Alicia affectionately known as Reagan, uh, said, why aren't you talking to Beth? And I was like, she doesn't want to talk to me. She has principles. And so she kind of forced me. She kicked me into patootie and was like, go talk to her right now. I said, okay. And I was like, what do you mean? Your profile said that you weren't looking. I was like, yeah. well, I don't know. I'm undecided. I feel like I can still make things work and I, I want to stay there. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Just come visit the kids. Just come meet my kids. Just come meet them. And that was kind of the end of that was how the story got written. And they're, the they're, were, they were the kids who are now first class graduated last year. So they were, I think, probably in seventh grade when you were in it, right? The, in, when you were interviewing. Yes. They were they fifth graders. So yeah. last year they were at how many college acceptances and scholarship dollars for roughly 25 kids? We ended at 202 acceptances and then and two point almost three million dollars in merit scholarships so it wasn't the complete financial aid packages yeah, right and so 202 acceptances for uh, 25 seniors correct yeah 25 that's it and then you met our sixth grade class at the time who is now seniors our class of 2022 our yes. founding fourth graders very special group um, and how many, I don't, how many acceptances are they at now? Cause they also were like, oh, we gonna, we gonna get them. We got 202 acceptances for 25 kids. Watch they're, this. They're about, as of yesterday, they're at 189. Uh, and Kenny is in the lead with 40 college acceptances. So here we are, February 3rd, 189, 40 college acceptances, roughly the same size class. Um, yes. Pretty awesome. It is, it is pretty yes. awesome. As you can see, there's a lot to learn on leadership from Tracy. How does she lead a school where the vast majority of kids are going to be first generation college, right? It's a under-resourced community in lots of ways, but with amazing resources in other ways. Tracy has led at the middle school level, the high school level. level. She's led in traditional schools. She's worked in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. She leads the Chicago Charter School. So we have so much to learn from you. You've like seen the world through this leadership lens. Um, yes. So let's talk about that. So you came, you met our kids. It was amazing. I was looking for a principal, even though your profile was like, this girl is interested in everything, like some TFA job search. Oh, I like, have no clue. Said, I didn't know what I was doing. Principal leadership. And they had like distilled the fear of God in this training about like, do not go after people if they say they are not interested. So I had to like be at the fair, like, hey, Tracy, good to see you again. What's going on? What do you mean you're not sure your principal job is done? Um, so when you look back on it and think about that point in time and that, but we're talking about leadership transitions today. And that was a leadership transition going from, right, uh, another principal. I was the founding principal and then we had another principal and then he left, unfortunately, after not very much time and you took over. Um, and so first group of eighth graders getting ready to launch our high school. Um, when you look back on those times, what are you thinking about? Like what really stands out to you from that time that was like, Man, that was when I learned these leadership lessons. Hmm. Somewhat ironically, I learned that there's a fine line between being committed and doing a disservice to your school and community. So often the narrative as a leader is that you have to find a way no matter what, find the third way, push through, stick with it even if everything is falling apart. And there is a high level of persistence, but there also is a tipping point where you have to realize that either you're not the right fit for the role or the organization you have outgrown or the organization has outgrown where your skills lie. Um, or it's also just time for you to do something new and to bring some fresh life into the organization for the next stage of where it's headed to. And that could be really difficult. 
Um, because I know I personally struggled with feelings of failure. Like I hadn't done enough work, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, coming from being like, I am super successful in everything I've ever done. And now it doesn't mean I'm not successful or I'm not good anymore. Um, and so it requires a, a lot of reflection. I always jokingly say every leader needs a therapist. And I do mm -hmm. truly believe that though, because all of those processes, especially when transitioning, require you to do a lot of self-examination to determine why you are leaving or entering um, and what you need and what you need to be asking for and what you're gonna leave behind and being okay uh, going through that process because as Beth probably can talk about leaving a role especially as being a principal and a CEO requires it takes a long time to let go even though you're not there today um, mm -hmm. and that transitioning time you you need support to do that it needs to be really thoughtfully done for yourself yeah. and the organization well and I think what you're also talking about is like how do you think about and I think this is always like you know it's in some ways like a relationship it's got to be a mutually good fit like what's the place like, what's the culture, what's possible, what do they need? And then where am I at? And can those two like make some magic together or is it really hard? And I think like we could do a whole nother live on the differences between leading a traditional public school, particularly in Chicago with the local school council model and a charter school. But, but we're not gonna touch those topics because those are so juicy and we're focused on succession planning here. Um, but I think that it is like, where can I do my best work? Where can I thrive, right? And so how do you make sure like, and then what, what, do, I, what do I know about myself and where will I thrive and what do I need? Um, so I think that's a piece of it. Um, and we'll talk about the transition too from collegiate uh, or at that time. And then also in the CEO role, since yep. you took over as CEO, I don't know if I explicitly called that out, but you know, I founded the school nine years, almost 10, blood, okay. sweat, tears, right? Like founding board, getting our first group to, uh, to high school and graduated. And I, I, I say, I mean, it's a joke, but it's not, is that I spent more time thinking about the transition of who would take over as CEO than I did about the custody of my three children. And I'm a single parent, <laughs> like, should I die? Right. So like, you know, it was like, no, no, I really put a lot of thought into this. Like this is, and I, I mean, obviously my kids are really important to me. I did a lot of thought, but it was like fairly easy who would take them and um, the school, not so much. So we'll definitely talk about that. So let's talk about your strengths and leadership because you've done, we did, we probably, when did we start doing the Gallup strengths assessment in collegiate? Probably like, I don't know. I, year two, I think I did some like before you were there, even 20. Pretty consistently, probably three or four years ago. Yeah. Consistent. We've done, right. And I think it was one of those things that we did it and it kind of helped people focus on what they do right at work. And then we stopped doing it. And then it actually turned out people would like to talk about what they did well at work. And right. it, it didn't hurt us to spend a few hours at the beginning of every year talking about strengths. And so I became a certified Gallup Strengths coach last February because I'd honestly been kind of faking it for, you know, 10 years. 15 years. <laughs> so it felt like, let me figure this out. But I got to strengths coach you as part of my strengths coach certification. And it was super fascinating, right? Um, yeah. Two top skills, two top strengths are relator and individualization, both in that kind of relationship building category. And then your two green strengths, strategic thinking and input. And then your fifth strength rounding out as an execution strength arranger. So first of all, you are very well-rounded in your top five strengths with three of the domains showing up. So that is unusual and exciting. Um, but where do you see those showing up in your leadership, both as when you were principal and then also as CEO? Um, so definitely, um, Beth would always call me out. You always come out my strategic. She's like, oh, that's such a strategic thing that you said. <laughs> so I saw, I saw all the pathways. Um, and when I was a younger principal, that was a challenge. I know you're coaching of me because I often would see the pathways and have made a decision and would be frustrated with my team about why, why couldn't you also see like this is very clearly the best choice because I've evaluated all of the options and why are you not agreeing with me immediately? Um, so while that was a strength of mine, it was a weakness in my leadership that I had to work on to figure out how to get people to be at the same place where I was when I needed them to be there. They would get there eventually, but not at the same time. Well, if I can interrupt you for a second, that's something people do with their strengths a lot. If it comes so naturally to them, you kind of think that's just like how everyone sees the world. Like if you're talking about X outcome, you're like, well, obviously here are the four paths and here's why this one's the best. And like, I, I don't have that superpower. So that's why I would always look at you and be like, oh my God, you were able to like zoom out, see the different issues, understand the different um, obstacles that were potentially in the way and move forward. And I would just look at you and be like, I mean, you could have been like shooting webs from your wrist and I would have been like equally impressed. <laughs> It was such a superpower. So I think like yeah. often with our strengths, it's like, I don't know if I call it a weakness of the strength, but I think that is something people often find with their strengths is that 
I have to learn that this does come easily to me and it does not come as easily to other people. And so I need to like bring them along for the ride, you know, no matter yeah. what. So, you know, don't try and don't try and say that's the shadow side of your strategic. I have strategic envy. I wish I was strategic <laughs> in my time. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, and in terms of like a strength as a, one of the parts, and it's really funny because I jokingly love school scheduling and a lot of people hate school scheduling, but that's like the best of both worlds for me because I'm putting together all the pieces, arranger. I know the people, I'm moving things around and I'm thinking a year, two years, three years down the road. And that allows me to kind of, I say, set the dominoes up and watch them fall and mm -hmm. be like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Um, but because it's, it's, it's a little bit of maneuvering to get there and we're dealing with human beings. Schools are humans. They're, they're slow units of change. We're complex. <laughs> we can be difficult at times. Teachers, I jokingly say, are the tenors of a choir for my music friends. Uh, we have a lot of feelings. Uh, and so figuring that out and being able to put those together is, is very useful. And then the last thing I would say, Beth, is I think both the strategic and the arranger increase teacher trust or mm -hmm. my individual's trust in my leadership because they know that my natural inclination is to always have a plan. Mm -hmm. And if I'm flying by the seat of my pants, they know, even though they may not know the plan, they know that I have one because mm -hmm. that's just how I operate and move. And so it tends to lead to trust, especially for those individuals that want to know what's happening. Um, they want to know that there's gonna be, it's done with thought that helps bridge that not completely but it, it helps it helps mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well and i think that part of what also that helps is because we did strengths work as a team every year and so people could see and we had a grid that you know would be on our staff hub and people would reference it's like they could see and understand a little bit about that to be able to give you understand what that label meant and labels are sometimes complicated but and then to be able to be like, oh, Tracy's strategic. There is no way she is walking into the situation without plan, you know, backup plan X, Y, Z. I think that really is it. And the arranger piece, you always were like, I'd be like, oh my God, the schedule. And you're like, oh, 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 like, just let me just play with it. Let, ooh, it was like playtime for Tracy, which is a great sign, right? Because like, right. you're in a place of ease and excellence and enjoyment. And like, just with like your little, usually Excel oh, yeah. sheets, I feel like, or that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. I'm really excited even thinking about it. Like, oh, I know. <laughs> that is a good time. My people, if you need help with scheduling, that is the because <laughs> likes to a it's executing. So it's about getting stuff done and it's about like maximizing all the different, re well, that's, you know, kind of just like, how do you get all the pieces to work together? Which actually like, I wonder if in some ways you also are like, like have a history of background as a musician. And in some ways I feel like there's like a lot of analogies, like maybe that helped build that muscle. Yeah. I don't know if on music here, so I'm going to back off that analogy. <laughs> Good as my sports analogies, Beth. They'll be coming later. I love the analogy. <laughs> I, like, I love analogies, and this is going to be dangerous because it's unclear whether this is actually going to mean what I think. But, you know, you don't bat a thousand on them, but I do pretty well on them. Um, what about, is there anything? So you've been leading for a long time now. I mean, decades, right? And so, which I know you look so young, it is shocking, but. I know it's shocking, <laughs> but it's true. But it does happen. It does happen eventually. So is there anything that used to work for you in leadership that kind of doesn't work anymore? It was like a tool used a lot. And sometimes as leaders, I think we have tools that stay with us for a long time. And other times the tools kind of serve their purpose, um, but they don't they don't go with you to the next level. They don't go with you to principal. They don't go with you to CEO. Um, yes. Uh, this might sound funny, but I'm thinking, so when I was a baby principal and leader, I would send the most detailed, long emails, fully mm. explaining all of my thinking. I would, it would take me hours to craft these written essays. Beth is laughing on the inside, by the way, because she knows that my reputation at Collegiate is I'm the most concise writer. If you have 10 words in an email, it's a missive. I mean, this is like actually shocking yeah. because it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. I, would be, I was known for like the super detailed, but part of that was rooted in the fact that I didn't have a lot of confidence in my leadership. Mm -hmm. I was leading through detailing and documenting. Like that was my safety net as a leader. Uh -huh. um, and I wasn't great at having uncomfortable conversations. I was okay at it, but it wasn't my forte. And so I was using it to kind of like bridge my skill so that I could refer back to this neutral piece, which is still a, always a good tip, but yeah. I was overly reliant on 
the documentation and the writing, less so on the interpersonal and the face-to-face -face or Zoom these days mm. or phone conversations. And so while I still am quite great at documentation, um, <laughs> I really have though, if you are emailing or, or conversing with me now as a leader, I am much more pointed in my communication. I am much more um, swift and just saying yes or no um, mm -hmm. and not over explaining myself as a leader. Um, and I think it just comes with being more confident in my decision making. And I've also built my, uh, as we would say, street cred as a principal and CEO so that I don't have to justify my thinking as much in writing at least with my team. Mm -hmm. um, and part of what I asked my team to do is you may not know all the details, but trust that in my role, it's my job to know all the details. Mm -hmm. And so um, at Collegiate, and Beth coined this term, we call it the E Street Band. We each have to play our role. I know it still exists, it's there. Uh, we all have to play our role. And so my role is to make sure that we have a plan that's being executed on monitoring. Your role is here, and this is what it looks like. Here's where your authority is. Here's where the boundaries are in our team. And I was not doing that when I was a younger leader. Mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. so that's why i had these I, I found one the other day and i was like you spent a lot of time like what why 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 were we doing this it's but it's so great thing. sometimes to find those artifacts because it's almost like that growth chart you have when you were a kid where you're like wow i i, I don't feel the growth day to day but like i can look back and say look at this right um and look at how i've grown so yeah. i think it's interesting too because you know I, I think that writing things down can be a powerful tool for like that common element, for accountability, for documentation, for giving people something to reference. And so often I find with leaders is that even if they never share what they write, sometimes the process of writing it is actually really clarifying. And it sounds like you used to really rely on that process. And now you're able to either do it more mentally, have that mental checklist of X, Y, Z. You're more confident. So you're not worried about if someone comes to you, do you have to refer to something? You're like, oh, no, I know I thought about this. Um, so it kind of has become a little bit more muscle memory. Would that be like a, a good way to? Yeah, it's got more muscle memory. And I just think it speaks to my ability as a leader to navigate and manage my team. Like I yeah. just don't need to use that as the first thing out the gate. It's now like, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to have conversations. I apparently in my mind know what most likely you're going to say or have concerns about mm -hmm. or be excited about. And by the way, when we finish, now here is the documentation. Please reference it moving forward versus here's the documentation. I hope no one's upset yeah. <laughs> or yes. mad about it. Yeah. And uh, it, hopefully it goes well. And so it was more of a crutch, less so than a, um, a share tool to make sure we had similar level of understanding. Right, right, right. And I also hear you saying that like you used to use it sometimes to introduce things. And it's like, please never yeah. introduce anything in an email. Like no. it will not go well. It will not. If no. it's not important, that's fine. It doesn't really matter if it goes well or it's a compliance issue or whatever. But if there's something you really want to get done in email, not going to be how I recommend you show up as a leader. That's um, no. not going to get there. So let's talk a little bit about before we go into transition and succession planning and leadership development work. Um, you know, we both care a lot about equity and justice. And I think that we both did a lot of good work in our shared time together at Collegiate. You've continued to do that work at Collegiate since I've, I uh, transitioned from the organization last year. Um, and so I really want to talk about DEI issues and what are you thinking when you're, you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then I'm also hearing DEIB, which adds belonging. I'm hearing JEDI, which is justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. So there's like all the acronyms spouting. But I mean, acronyms are great, but they're not the work on the ground. What are you proud of that we've done? And what are you thinking about like what's next, like on this continuum? So I would say the thing I am most proud of is the fact that we have really frank conversations about equity, mm -hmm. race, class, privilege, gender identity, um, and just about everything that we can think of under the sun. When I came to Collegiate and in most organizations, people just give like lip service to those things. Mm -hmm. We have some, I, we have really deep, difficult conversations mm -hmm. um, that are insanely personal and, and can be triggering. Um, and we're willing to go there as an organization because that's the work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's um, and it's absolutely fantastic. Year over year, our teachers have said, this is the first place I've worked at where we've had really authentic conversations. And I'm growing in my understanding of my own biases and prejudices mm -hmm. um, as an individual and see them playing out. Uh, I think a challenge we face is that our 
teaching staff is now at this point majority African-American and we serve an almost exclusively African-American student population. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, um, a few years ago, we had mentors be like, well, I, I know everything I need to know. I don't need to do mm -hmm. this. I am a person of color. I self-identify as a person of color mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, I get it. And we were like, mm, I don't think you get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Based mm -hmm. on some of the data and outputs we're getting, that's not happening. And so we had some really, really juicy conversations around internalized racism. Mm -hmm. Like how do you show up even if you are a fellow member of the group that your students belong to? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And it's a very nuanced, it can be very nuanced and subtle, but it has a distinctly high impact on outcomes for kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've continued those conversations throughout the years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you think, like for people listening now who are like, I want to get there. How do I get my people to this place? How do I get the organization there? Like, how, how did you get, like, what do you think are the, what do you have to do to lay the groundwork for that? I think it has to be modeled by leaders first. Mm -hmm. That's true for all things within leadership. Yeah. Um, I would be ready to be okay with people's comfort or yes. discomfort. Discomfort. Uh, I know yeah. that's in the four agreements for courageous conversations, but I really mean it. Like we put out boxes of tissues and when people start crying, the conversations don't stop. Mm -hmm. People walk out, we go check on them. How are you feeling? High five on the back. You good? We expect for you to come back in. Because when humans feel uncomfortable, they try to escape. Nine mm -hmm. times out of ten, that's a very natural thing to do. It's biological, um, actually, yeah. Right, yeah. Like I, 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 I want to, I want to run. I feel fear. I don't like this. I want out. And so, really, the the number one thing we did is we forced people to engage. Hey, we noticed that you take a lot of PTO on the mm -hmm. days we're supposed to have these conversations. You will no longer be able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that staved off. And then the other big thing I would say that we did and that we continue to do is we use a shared text. And that just makes the conversations a little more neutral. Mm -hmm. uh, we had done some singleton work with his books. Uh, we read uh, Kirsten, what was her last name, Beth? Oh, uh, Sowers. The trauma-informed stuff was really good. Yes, trauma-informed yeah. stuff. Uh, that's for conversations. We've pulled articles. Uh, this year we're reading Whistling Vivaldi about mm -hmm. stereotypes and biases. Very intriguing. Very interesting. Well, pick it up. Um, and so we also engage our staff intellectually in somewhat of a college seminar type of environment. Uh, about this work and, and it just respects the fact that they are intelligent people and they're professionals mm -hmm. and that we can have these college 300 course level conversations about race, equity, inclusion, diversity, difference um, in a very thoughtful, sophisticated manner. And I have found that our teachers and staff have risen to that level of sophistication. Mm -hmm. Less mm -hmm. I, oh, you know, I've never met anyone that doesn't look like me. Like we are far, far beyond that, but it has been a long journey. So the last thing I would say about this is don't expect your team to be equitable after six months. Right. This is a four, five, 10 year journey uh, that never ceases. So it, yeah. it really is. And it, it's really about kind of constant. And I think there also, we got some big, um, when it started to just be consistent and it was like, you know, sometimes it was once a quarter or it was the first Monday of the month or whatever. It's like, we're just doing this regardless. And I think, you know, there has been a lot of unrest the last few years. There have been a lot of flagrant violations of justice that are very upsetting. Right. And I just feel like when we had this consistently and that could add in more if needed. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, OK, like, let's have a town hall like George Floyd's murder is deeply upsetting. You know, here's an optional resource or here's a required resource or here's whatever or whatever it is, I feel like uh, the regularity also helped build that sense of it's about your own identity. It's about our own learning. And we're all on this journey. And I think you really helped me see too, because I think I was a little bit in the camp of like, well, if you identify then like you kind of have a past because like really white people need to work on this shit. And it's like, actually everyone does. We're all at different points. Um, yes. But like, let's keep, especially when we think about class interaction, education yes. background, yes. immigration status. I mean, they're just like, it's so, it's just so yes. rich. Um, so yeah, that's really great. Well, let's talk a little bit about succession planning and leadership transitions, which I am excited to talk about because I did a survey last month in December 2021 um, saying, you know, hey leaders, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you, what are you really thinking about? Far and away, the number one thing that leaders and the people who support leaders, like board members, funders, et cetera, are thinking about is what are internal development opportunities for leadership and how do we think about this with succession planning, with talent retention, um, and with basically not losing great people, which 
you know, I know there's a lot of press about the great resignation and the great sea and all this stuff is true. I think this has always been an issue in education. Um, it just is like, it was kind of a, it was like a crack and now it's a chasm, right? Like the pandemic yeah. has amplified it. And so I think that that's something that we thought a lot about, um, we've been thinking a lot about. And so because, again, I spent more time thinking about who took custody of my school than my children, and I love my children. <laughs> it was just an easier answer. Um, I'd love to start thinking, you know, one thing you shared from earlier was that you were not as, you were okay at having difficult conversations, but mm -hmm. it was not, you were not as adept. And I actually think that's something that you learned a lot in your time at Collegiate about, I think through our leadership pathways and radical candor work. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on Let's start with leadership pathways. Like we kind of, I started this program because I saw this need both for my own successor. So this is probably 2017, I think we started it. Maybe, well, you know, the years are fading back. The years are a little tricky. I think it was like <laughs> 2016, 2016, 17, 18 range, right? Kind of like, how do we have a formal program, a small school, 50 staff members, right? A couple hundred kids, um, maybe 350 kids. And so, but how do we create a leadership program? Because we were losing people to the larger networks, yeah. right? Um, to yeah. different opportunities, to like this fancy job title, you know, they want to be a coach. Like how many coaches can we have? We have like 25 teachers, right? So, I, and I had made a lot of mistakes the first five years. And then it was like, let's clean this up and, and systematize yeah. it a little bit. So I'd love to hear from your perspective as a participant, what did you think about leadership pathways? Like, where did you see the value that brought to uh, our school, to your leadership? And then also everyone who was a department chair required to be in it. Everyone who's a grade level chair or wanted to be a grade level chair required to do it. It was like every other week after school kind of thing. Um, you know, what did you, what did you take from that? And how did you see that start to change the culture at Collegiate? So I would say as a participant at times, hmm, for my role pretty much as a principal, there wasn't always new content or new ideas or mm -hmm. concepts. Um, but also I would attribute that to the fact that I went through a very unique leadership preparation sequence um, mm -hmm. that it's, it's a bit atypical in terms of really teaching you how to just be a good leader, period. Mm -hmm. Regardless of school, business, finance, just what are the traits of being a good leader? And so going through that though, as you know, as leaders, as principals, we get caught often admired in the day to day. We need to call this parent. Oh, I need a teacher coverage. I need a whatnot. So being in the pathways is just a moment to like pull back up. Yeah. Remind yourself of underlying leadership skills, you know, sharpen the skills that are not as sharp as they need to be. Um, and to just re-engage as a learner and a like an expert in the area or a, a burgeoning <laughs> expert versus being caught in the day-to-day -day of running school. Because mm -hmm. as we all know, running school can consume all of your mental energy and capacity. Mm -hmm. And so by me doing that, remind me like, oh, I should probably do something to buoy teacher spirits in October. We know mm -hmm. that it's a rough month. Let me take a moment and think about what that's going to look like and how am I going to monitor that? And then I can go execute the plan because during the school day, let's just be realistic. Most principals are not being like, hmm, I wonder what would be mm -hmm. the best next leadership move because that's just not the rhythm of school and leading. Um, I think in terms of my team and how it changed collegiate was it helped people understand. I think the most impactful thing the leadership pathways did is it helped people understand how difficult being a leader is mm -hmm. um, because we know that everyone loves the cheap sheet, the cheap seats. It's great mm -hmm. there. You can see everything. Uh, it looks so easy. And what so fancy and you get paid more and it's so great. And you can wear high heels because you're not on your feet all day or whatever. Yeah. You go to the bathroom whenever you want to. I was like, really? <laughs> because I recall covering lunch duty, sitting in meetings, trying to get through dismissal. Uh, I don't like it didn't feel like that way. I didn't yeah, get a after school meetings were like, oh, excuse me, let me eat my lunch right now because it's 3 30. Right. And they were like, what? And so I think it just exposed the realities, the unglamorous, under the hood yeah. portions of leadership to folks that were aspiring leaders. And it made a few of them go, I don't think I want to do this, which was mm -hmm. great. And it made a few of them go, oh, I'm still interested, which was also great. Versus what we had been doing previously was you want to be a coach, like I said, here is a high stakes opportunity to go do that. And then people would bomb. Yeah. And then they would leave because they felt unsuccessful. It didn't work. And it wasn't what we wanted to be doing. It wasn't systematic enough. It wasn't deliberate yeah. enough. And what I loved about it is it gave us time and leadership pathways to get together as a group of leaders in this safe space. And it gave you time with your team to talk about kind of how they were growing and developing. It gave yeah. us time to look at 
case studies where, you know, everyone kind of could just like approach it as a learner, but it was like very realistic. Um, and I think it did. Some people self-identified, like, I don't think I want this, which is, which is mm -hmm. totally great. But like, for me as a leader, it's like, but you have the opportunity, right? And you could do this yep. and you can learn and you enjoy it. And that's awesome. Um, and so I want to make sure that everyone had that piece as they went through. So it was, I think we saw a lot better, um, like, I think we were able to fill some AP roles internally, fill some principal, right? So like, there was some good traction in that way. And look, sometimes you need external candidates. It's not always going to be internal, um, but it's nice to know that that's not because you haven't done your work, making sure that there is a pool, um, you know, and it's, it can be hard in small organizations. People feel like, how do I do this? But you know, it's the same way you teach a class. It's a scope and sequence. It's clear objectives. And those are going to be different for every organization because, you know, like I knew in my head, like, okay, it's like 2017, 18, like I'm here till 2021, 2022. Like I would really like to be able to develop mm -hmm. a strong succession plan, um, a, a clear successor, you know, some consistency and leadership, um, you know, at, at multiple levels. And so kind of thinking that long game, like you were saying a few ahead. Um, so speaking of, you recently became the CEO of Chicago Collegiate. Congratulations. What? I said it's almost a year. I was reminded of that. And I was like, I just, and they're like, that's in April. I said, oh, it's February. I said, I guess I could stop saying just because we're almost a year in. It is almost crazy. a year in. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and one of the things that is one of my favorite tips about succession, I'll plan here, is that we transitioned, you transitioned officially April 1st, and mm -hmm. uh, I stayed on through the end of the school year because I wanted to make sure I saw graduation through and, you know, I didn't stay, you know, 10 years to miss the last few events, but became a senior advisor to the CEO, which I felt like, I feel like that was a great transition. Like, I don't, how did you feel about this? Like, it was nice, I think, for us to have a few months. Like, it wasn't like goodbye on yes. Friday and you took over on Monday. There was a period of overlap where you had access to me. We could do some kind of stuff together. I could take on some capacity. I don't know if it was as good for you as it was for me, but I highly recommend it from the exiting CEO's perspective. <laughs> but I think it helped you too. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. So it's one of our board members, Beth, I don't think you even know this, um, a few months later, so like in fall, uh, when I was doing my initial one-on-one -on -one interviews for this upcoming school year, unsolicited stated that was the smoothest transition she has ever seen. And she, her role, she works with schools, uh, charter schools specifically doing turnarounds and uh, various transitions. She's like, I've, I've literally never seen as smooth as a leadership transition um, as as that one. And in the evidence show, we retain more than 90% of our staff. 96% uh, of our staff. 96% of our staff, and they're still here. And the um, pandemic and the great recession, resignation, yeah. all that shit, yeah with super high staff satisfaction rates, family high satisfaction rates, mm -hmm. um, and incredible student achievement data as well. Yes. And so it, it was, it is rare in leadership where you get to come into a high stakes new leadership role and still have a safety net. And mm -hmm. that's what the transition did. I had Beth and yes, I was doing the work. I was a CEO, but if I needed to call and be like, so, um, we received a subpoena <laughs> about <laughs> buying, uh, that playground purchase in 2012. Where is that? I could pick up the phone and do that, not feeling like I was impinging on her freedom or whatever she was doing next. My AP become the high school principal. And so when Kiana had a question around, how, what's that form we use for teachers data analysis for the IM? Like, oh yeah, here it is. Yeah. Do, 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 do. And so it just allowed us to very collegially support each other while still in our new roles, iterations of ourselves. And then for our staff, it felt seamless. It wasn't like we had a big knowledge vacuum leave on Monday and no one knew where to find the things or how it operated or where it was, which allowed them to continue being successful. Different styles, different uh, visions, different priorities, but the underlying core tenets of what made a good leader at Collegiate was true and it was clear that people were gonna be successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I think that there's so much work in the spring that's about the next, the summer PD and the next year that I learned that from Greg White at Learn, right? He transitions his senior leaders in April. And I was like, that's genius because that's really when you're doing the work. So why am I going to make the summer PD schedule when I'm not going to be here to run it? Why am I going to make these hires when it's your team, right? And so how do you kind of help give some time there? Um, and, and just like, I think sometimes you know, education can be so resource deprived. And, and that's true of all nonprofits. I think we think like, how do we maximize this resource? And like, oh my gosh, like three extra months of salary and da 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 and the overlap. It's like, look, let's put some 
extra in, let's put some buffer in, right? Like we don't, we don't actually need to like run this as close, run the gas tank as close to empty as possible. We can put right. some buffer in, we can do this in a way that is going to be, you know, it's a transitions are, are, can be complicated. And so how do you kind of yeah. help um, make it as smooth as possible? So when you think back on this transition, um, what do you think is helpful for people to know or think about when they're thinking about leadership transitions um, and preparing for them from your perspective? That's interesting. Uh, I think when identifying a successor, I would make sure I would verify first they have the technical skills to do the job. Mm. There, there are technical skills in these collective roles: principal, CEO, chief academic officer, director of development, whatnot. There are some technical skills. You've got to be able to do certain discrete tasks. But what I think made our transition unique on both Kiana to me, to me, to mm-hmm. Beth was we spent a lot of time talking about are you ready to lead? Mm. And have is leading. So for myself to Kiana, you know, most APs don't necessarily talk with the people they manage about leadership, but we purposely made sure for her last year and a half being an assistant principal that she was building teachers leadership capacity. So she was practicing leading before she became a full-time leader of a mm-hmm. building. And so that that is, I think, the secret sauce where we forget that leadership is really an art of mm-hmm. how to navigate spaces and is married with technical skills. You got to be able to put together documents and run PDs and do these things. But a lot of leadership is very, it's it's the best way, it's a bit of a muscle memory. Like you have to practice those skills to become good at it, to be able to implement them and be flexible in those situations. And that's what we did that allowed us to be able to transfer that knowledge and transition in a really clean manner. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's possible that I would have been, or Kiana would have been me when I was a first year principal. Yeah. And I and I jokingly call it stepping on landmines, inadvertently stepping on landmines and blowing things up mm-hmm. and not realizing you're doing so. And then being like, oh my God, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And, having, and either knowing to avoid them or have people you can call and say, what am I not seeing? Just because I don't have the experience yet to know that I should see it. And they go, oh yeah, that you should probably do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And then you can execute and avoid it. Well, and I think I remember with you thinking, you know, you clearly had been running a building and and being the kind of person who's in the day-to-day, et cetera. And then it was like, but how does it, I was thinking a lot about, you know, just honestly how lonely the CEO job can be. There's mm-hmm. no one to say, is this the right thing? There's no one checking you. There's no boss saying, no hard yeah. stop. And so I wanted to purposely create opportunities. And I think this was possibly even certainly after we had talked about you taking over potentially, and obviously a board's always involved. It's their own search. They had decided we we have a whole story about that, but that is, you know, I had kind of really, I felt like it was my duty as the leader. And I would say this is true for every organization that like, you should be thinking about who takes over if something happens to you and you should be preparing your people and you can't just go to your board and say, I'm out, good luck. Um, and honestly, some people on our board were a little salty about that. Like, why didn't, and it's like, I've been telling y'all for two, three years, my I, I'm coming up my time and you should be glad because it would be irresponsible. I can't imagine being so irresponsible a leader that I would say like, good luck, go do a search. Like that is a recipe for disaster. Um, not that a search is a recipe, but you know, it is the role I, and I view this, this is true at the classroom level. I mean, Caleb Dolan used to say this all the time is like train your successor, right? That's like part of what you do to like really close the loop on any experience is like making sure that there's someone there who can take your place. Um, anyway, that's all uh, aside to say that I remember being like, there was, and, and the pandemic gave us lots of opportunities to say like, okay, should we go back in person and being like, Tracy, make the call and I'll be yeah. here and I'll sit and I'll like poke holes, but like, figure this out because right now you have me as someone who's there and we can talk about and figure this out, but you won't have me in six months. And so how do you start to get some of that experience, some of that isolation, some of that weight? Um, And and I'm sure it wasn't, you know, I was still there. So it wasn't totally authentic to the experience, but to try and help you, you know, I'm really like crafting a plan for that. Like here are some opportunities to do this and how do we use like live learning? So the pandemic gave us lots of choices. Hill screeners. Like it turned out like, nor- I feel like in a regular year, it would have been like, okay, should we switch this assessment? Like do you decide? And I was like, no. oh, oh, are we going to require vaccines for staff? That is such a great question. So hmm. new CEO, what do you think? <laughs> yes. And just for those watching, that was best favorite fa- phrase. She said, oh, huh. <laughs> 
And she was like inside. It's like, yes. a great question for our next CEO, doesn't it? Right. And then I started using it and I was like, it is a great phrase. That's actually a great question for the next high school principal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's That's beautiful. They're gonna, you're going to live with the consequences. You should probably make the decision. So yeah. um, any other thoughts to share on successful like transitions, succession mm-hmm. planning, um, things to think about? And actually, well, go any, anyway. We always got so much to talk about. I'm like, wow. Let's talk. Uh, The thought I have in a lesson that we've learned um, when doing internal transitions, Mm -hmm. internal transitions, so is managing the politics of an internal transition, especially if other individuals think that they are um, qualified in their belief to hold the role. And I think that's going, cycling back to leadership pathways, that helps to alleviate that because it becomes, people become self-evident that they are or they are not mm-hmm. uh, when you come to do that. And so my last little tidbit is that if you're doing, especially an internal transition, make sure that you've allowed all those that think they might want to do the role an opportunity either to interview or to do components of the role, because then when the transition happens, whether you end up using an internal candidate or an external candidate, it cuts down on a lot of the pushback on the person who takes the role because they intimately understand, oh, I tried it, it wasn't for me. Like, oh, I'm so glad they're here, I didn't really want it. Versus they should have called me, why didn't they say anything to me? I could have done that. And that helps your new leader come in with less adult culture issues to potentially address. Yes. And I think that I remember you doing that really well. We had a teacher at the high school who was interested in leadership and in the AP positions, et cetera. And I remember, you know, you post the, I always like, like always post the job, be extremely clear on what you're looking for. I think that often leaders make that choice. They post it and they'll figure it out later. And uh, hey, you never do. And then B, you make hires that aren't exactly what you're looking for because you didn't take honestly what could be 30 minutes to figure this out. I mean, and it's hard, you know, it's a muscle memory. It takes me 30 minutes. It used to take me a day, right? Two days, whatever. Um, but that's fine. You know, I work with people on that. But one thing that, you know, I remember you doing once is like you had it open. There was like an activity or like a work piece they submitted. And you were like, here is yours. Here is my exemplar I created for this. Where do you see as the gap? And that conversation walked itself through. And the person stayed for many years, I think is still yeah, there, did not feel faulty, did not feel whatever, yeah. like was able to very clearly see because you had a very clear vision of what the role entailed, because you had an exemplar piece of work, and because you could just walk through that conversation, you could. she, she was able to identify, here's where my gaps are. Oh, this isn't here. This isn't where it's needed. Right. And here's why this isn't my exemplar. And here's what I've learned as a school leader and seeing that. So I think that that is also just a great, that was like a very memorable moment to me um, that I think you were, you know, one of the many moments where you were shining. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we still use it. It works beautifully. It, it, yeah. Right. Exactly. This stuff works. Sometimes it took us a long time to find what works and then it works and you just keep using it because it works. Um, so the last thing on transitions that we talked about um, recently that I think is worth bringing up is this issue of staff turnover, because oh, yes. you know, I think that we talked about, you know, when, when I transitioned, at, out of CEO, we had 96% staff retention across mm-hmm. the network, which is two schools. And so that was really important to me because honestly, there were points earlier, I was pregnant with twins in 2014 and was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, you know, there were a few moments earlier and I always felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like we would bleed staff if that happened. And I cannot do that to the kids in the school and the community. So like, you know, I, I worked it out. Um, but it was important to me if you have a transition at a high level that you don't have a lot of transitions at other levels because that allows for some continuity for families and kids and the way it's done. But the goal is not to keep that like forever, right? Like we don't think that 100% staff retention year after year after year, at some point I think that's potentially problematic. Um, Just like 100% turnover is also problematic or 50% turnover. So do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the because this happened when you when you took over as principal too, is that we have very high staff retention for the academic year you took over. And then we did see some transition the next year or two from some staff members who had been, you know, I'd say valued members, um, which, you know, so if you want to talk about some of that, that would be really interesting. And then we'll go to the lightning round to close us off. Yeah. So I think a couple things. I think there is a misconception amongst leaders that everyone that was there when they came on to being a leader is supposed to be there forever Mm -hmm. or that everyone is supposed to go. 
And what I've seen happen in my own leadership experience at when I was at Spencer, I saw what happened in other schools I've worked in. I saw it happen here at Collegiate. Um, and I think it's a, about to happen with both of my principals who are finishing up their first full year in person mm -hmm. uh, now is that you, you should retain the majority of your staff, 85, 90% in your first year as a leader. They should trust the transition's done well. They should trust the outgoing leader and the incoming leader to say, okay, well, I wanna see what you're about. But as an incoming leader, it's hard for you to know 100% what your vision is. You haven't been in the organization or in that seat, so it's hard to tell what you're going to be working on. You have some ideas, but it's not going to be crystallized. And you don't really know your team yet. They don't, they don't belong to you. They're not yours. Not mm -hmm. really. I mean, they are in a formal sense. You are their supervisor, CEO, principal, teacher, leader, but they're not yours yet. They're not personally connected to you as their leader. And so what I experienced and what I've seen happen is by this point, February, March, people get to know your operating style. And then you as a leader are doing a better job of communicating what your priorities are for what's happening next and what your beliefs are, what your values are. And people start to go, I'm not sure that's for me. And that's okay because it is much better for you to be 100% clear about that mm -hmm. and people choose to stay or choose to leave than you to negotiate values and beliefs and it'd be very ugly, very quickly. And so at that point, and this is, I'm using this metric with my own principals, if 20 to 30% of their staff, which we have smaller staff, so that's about two to three people transition that were valued staff members, but the rationale is because, yeah, I'm not really about equity for grading. <laughs> like in reality, like I do think kids should get not yet's for whatever or failures. It's like, well, thank you very much for coming. That's not something that we believe in here. Right. You know, right. it was with zeros. I'm so sorry to hear that. I that you're welcome to have that. If that's something that it's not something that I believe as a leader. And so, thank you very much for your service to our kids and community. Definitely, that's my favorite line. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for your service to our kids and community. We appreciate what you've offered to us, and we wish you the very best. Right, but moving forward, we Kiana's done great work with grading equity, and what is this right? And it's like so. Moving forward, this is what we're gonna do. And so, like, yes. I'm happy we can dialogue. But this ship is moving in this direction. Yes. And so if you don't feel like I can't go in that direction, then like, thank you for your service. But yes, absolutely. And for many leaders, that's extraordinarily scary. Yeah. Because yeah. what we know as schools, it's exceptionally hard to find people, quality people, especially in schools that I've led in a you lead, Beth, in urban areas that have a myriad of challenges. But when we negotiate on those things, the quality of what we offer kids decreases exponentially. And then we're in a much worse place than we would have been trying to fill two additional positions or whatever. Yeah, that might have been. no, no, no. I mean, you, you just, you, you, it's literally shooting yourself in the foot, right? And it's, yeah. but it is, it's fear driven. It's so fear driven. Yeah. All right, so let's go to lightning round. I'm going to ask you five quick questions about leadership, your recommendations for all of our folks uh, to see. So what is a leadership book that has meant a lot to you professionally that you would recommend? You know, I was a reading teacher, so I got to ask about books. Beth already knows what the book is going to be. It's my oh, favorite. It's on the line. Am I right? It's on the line. She already knows. I buy it for everybody. I love it. I have others that I read too. But like, if you are a beginning leader or you haven't gotten, you're a leader that hasn't thought a lot about the act and art of leading, that is the first book I would recommend to you because it, it gives you the real, real. It keeps it real. Uh, you, yes. Tracy, I, I will tell you a secret. I think I have two Ooh. copies on my shelf. I have never read it cover to cover, but I feel like <laughs> hanging out with you, I like almost don't need to read it because you refer to it so much. But I'm there I do, I do love like, it. I love it. Like, leadership, like it's deep. It's deep. It's real deep. So love it. I love it. I was like, if she does not say that, I might follow this chair. Okay. <laughs> what is another resource, a website, a podcast, a newsletter that's been very impactful for you or just like a, a resource in the world? Hmm. I, um, actually listen to a fair number of business podcasts, like mm -hmm. non-educational podcasts. And I can't give you the name of any of them because Beth knows me and proper nows are not great friends. Uh, but, but there's a free one I saw, it's on my playlist. Yeah, I am attorney, so like I read this one thing somewhere, um, but I would say like the Harvard, the Harvard Business Review, mm -hmm. fantastic to think about the act of leading. And even I, I follow them on Instagram. It's great. I, I do the, I read the carousels as easy as quick. That's what I can offer to the world. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. You know, and it just sparks some thoughts for me or questions. And sometimes I will go read the deeper things. But I think I would I would suggest asking your school to buy your subscription. 
uh, to Harvard Business Review. So you get the articles that come to your uh, inbox weekly. Yeah, the daily tips are great. And the, yeah, and the resource, it's a great, and to your point earlier, it's like a shared document. So that's really great that people feel that sense of like, yeah. right. Um, it's a shared resource. No, no, that's, that's a huge one. Um, all right. Who are some mentors? Who's meant a lot to you? This is like your chance to be grateful. Like who in your personal career has mentored you and meant a lot to you? Oh my gosh. I have so many people. I feel like at every stage of my career, I've had like amazing, amazing people around me. So I got to go back. My mentor teacher when I was a first year teacher was Martha Infante. So amazing. I love Martha. Um, and we still communicate every once in a blue moon. And she whooped on me and would say, you better stop crying and learn how to teach. Uh, <laughs> she said it in nicer words than that, but I definitely cried a lot my first year of teaching and my first year of principaling. I got to give it up to Beth, of course, uh, for her years. Of, I am not, um, if you want to have help on coaching people that potentially are difficult to coach, call Beth because <laughs> I was not always the easiest person to coach. Uh, <laughs> she was like, she's been so lovely. Yeah, so she 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 persevered and got through uh, many strong ideas through my sometimes thick-headed stubbornness. Wow. Which is a positive attribute and has worked <laughs> against me at times. Um, Everything is yeah, a double-edged. Those are two of my educational ones that I all throw. Oh, well, thank you. I was not fishing for a compliment, but that is really, no, really sweet. No. Um, no. Yes, we had some good times. It was not always this easy a rapport, people. <laughs> a lot of coming to alignment. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, some of these gray hairs that are covered up mercifully. I get it. You know, I love, you mentioned the Street Bang. I love the idea of celebrity mentors or like people I learn oh, about yeah. later who I don't actually know, like Bruce Springsteen, although one day I hope I will. Who are some like mentors from afar that have helped shape your understandings? You might not personally know them, but like you learn a lot about leadership from them. Hmm. I, I gotta definitely say actually one that I actually have studied is Barack Obama and his speaking. So he has a very unique so what I like about Barack Obama, I know people think like, oh he's a politician, whatever, but if you study how he studied to become a leader, it is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, how thoughtful uh, the person we know today was not who he was when he started. Yeah. And he put in a lot of work to build his skills, his oratorical skills, his leading skills, his conflict resolution skills. And he used, and this is very, very intriguing to see how he went through that kind of journey of self-discovery. Um, and I definitely steal some of his stuff that he well, uses. And Barack for Obama's first office was at 113th and King Drive. I can yes, picture the church. Blocks away from the school uh, that we both have led, and so I think that like that was always an important part. And it's funny you say him because I unfortunately don't know him either yet. But you know, leading the school during the Obama years, I'd be like, no matter how hard my job felt, his job is a little harder. <laughs> so that was like my comfort to myself at night. Like, okay, well, that's probably a little harder, but so maybe you should you know, woman up and get to it. Okay, last question: What is something could be anything that you are loving in your life right now? product or practice or something personal recommendations uh right now beth is gonna laugh at me because it was one of my actions as many years when i was her coachy i'm loving instacart i have given up you, you're gonna laugh but like for many years i was like I, I there's no reason why i need this service i i know i am stressed out and tired and hungry and i could just still go to the grocery store and this year i've been like why are we doing this like you get free delivery. Just click the buttons and have it come to your house. It's like the most luxurious thing ever uh, to have groceries delivered. And I, I have succumbed to the Instacart life and I'm about that life. I'm, not, I'm about that it's life. Amazing. It's amazing. I'm I mean, there's a few flaws. They don't always pick out the produce exactly. Sometimes the substitutions make no sense. But compared to the hours I've saved shopping, so, so in it. Yes. Um, yes. Awesome. All right. So before I wrap up, Tracy, do you want to tell us, let me put our banner up um, about Sepia Leadership. Give us a quick overview of this intriguing new thing. Yeah, so I am uh, in the process of launching um, some coaching and support for pretty much leaders of color or uh, underserved leaders, um, but really also new leaders. It's my area of passion to help leaders not have the same challenging experiences I had when I was a young leader. Uh, so I am opening up cycle one of the collective in late April. Uh, this will be a space for new leaders to gather and hang out in a trusted safe space um, to learn from each other and support each other. We'll do some consultancy work. Um, and then I have only because I do have a really full full-time job as CEO, <laughs> I am only taking on uh, two one-on-one coaching 
um, slot. So if you're interested, you can follow me at CPL Leadership on Instagram. It's underscore between CPL and leadership. And then I'm at CPLleadership.com. Awesome. Awesome. So this is amazing. Thank you so much for being my first guest. Um, if you liked hearing about all these gems, uh, Tracy will attest that there was really nothing that I dropped that is necessarily new. She's been hearing it for 10 years, about five, seven years, something like that. Um, but you can join my newsletter. The links are at, uh, on my Facebook page, on my website, which has been going across the ticker um, in my Facebook link. And if you are thinking like, gosh, I really need to think about succession planning for my own departure. I really need to develop an internal leadership pipeline because I'm bleeding people left and right here, whatever it is. Um, my website is up there with the book a call link, book an intro call. Let's talk. It's complimentary. And let's see what might a consulting project look like here and how could this really help your organization and move forward. So I'd love to help some of the wins that Tracy and I talked about today. Your wins. Um, that's really, I miss the school. I miss the action, but I do love helping leaders make their impact. So excited to see that. So Tracy, thank you so much. We did Thanks it. You're having me, Beth. We figured it out. Technically, yes, yes. You know, which wasn't always my strength. Um, but I really, I'm so grateful to you. And I really, not just for doing the live and for being here, but also for just your amazing leadership. 22 is in good hands. I can't wait to see how many acceptances they have, how the middle school grows and thrives. And I know that, you know, this pandemic is maybe not what we have chosen, but there's a lot of opportunities that come from it. And you're doing a great job leveraging those opportunities to lead our kids forward to a more equitable and just world. So, mwah. Ah, much love. All right. All right. Bye, all right. Thanks to all of you who are live, all of you who are watching, and see you next week. Next week, we have a very exciting guest uh, who is also a longtime friend who I've known way longer than Tracy, who is, if you are into state and local education agencies, policies, leading large organizations, managing through layers, King Cakes or Mardi Gras, you should come. So we'll unveil who that is later today. But all right, everyone, take care. Thanks, Tracy.